Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. My guest today is James Hanusa, a person in the avant-garde movement of emerging technology and culture. He's a frequently speaker on innovation, creativity and sustainability. James' professional career has included roles in strategy consulting, operations, business development and ecosystems creation for big tech companies. James was one of the people leading the process of transforming the Burning Man project into a non-profit organization. Welcome, James. Thank you, Kai. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great. And uh, today's talk with you, James, uh, will have a relationship to creativity with a touch of culture, art, design and technology. It is also a connection to sustainability and how you have been a transformer, change maker in the world recognized projects. Can you give us an introduction a little bit uh, more of the background to the Burning Man project and, and the purpose and, and um, that you would like to gain from that type of project? So I feel very fortunate. I was hired as a consult as a business consultant in 2010 by the Burning Man Project. At that time, it was a, just to give people a sense of size and scale, a 30 year old, $30 million, 100 employee uh, arts organization based out of San Francisco that produces the I think people consider it the grandmother of, of global festivals. Um, people also often talk of Glastonbury as the grandfather of, of the festival culture in the world. Um, 80,000 people gather and build a city together uh, that lasts a week in the Nevada desert. So it is the, I believe the second largest city in Nevada for seven days and completely arts driven and co-created by the participants. Um, my role was new initiatives, which was uh, basically kind of a chief of staff, special projects type of role for the founders that was focused on transforming the organization to a nonprofit. And we spent a number, couple of years actually um, exploring what the next hundred years of that global culture and community could be based on its 30 year history and um, then rolled uh, out that new organization and the six programs um, globally to the world over, I was, I was with them for five years. So it was a life transforming experience for me. I kind of think of it as a um, PhD in um, culture, applied culture, maybe something like that. Um, and you asked me uh, in our prep, you know, how, how, why is Burning Man seen as a community that could transform society? And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the, the way the culture was um, envisioned and then the infrastructure that was put in place and the values and the shared experience and, and building things together. I think that's really key. I think a lot of people don't see that part of Burning Man that it is created by the experience is created by the community. And if you invest yourself and um, you know, 80,000 other people invest themselves and have 
the ability to express themselves in their own unique way, but um, still be part of that larger cultural container. People talk about it as a transformation engine or, you know, very magical experience. Things happen in that, in that um, space that uh, is, are hard to explain sometimes. So what can that mean for society? Um, I think it can be applied in, in many fields. One of, I think one of the big lessons I took away was from the structure. Every, every year they have a different theme, Kai. So um, that defines kind of the ethos of the art, et cetera. I'll just go to 2007. The theme was Green Man. The man structure, the man structure is anywhere like, like 40,000 or what am I saying, James? 40 foot um, effigy of, a, of a, a wood man that's burned on Saturday. Uh, but they surrounded the base of it with uh, sustainability type solutions. So um, we, we brought a solar carport and there was a um, an early model of a Tesla that was put under the, this is 2007. Um, but many, many other uh, examples of sustainability uh, were there in that year. So you got theme, you've got a container, which is seven days and seven by seven miles. Um, and then you've got an invitation to creativity. So theme, container, creativity. And what happens when you put those three together um, is a very... Um, possibly life-changing experience for many people. Hmm. Any particular stories or memories from, from the time you were involved in the program? Yeah, um, many, many, many. I, I would say the when we launched the Burning Man Project, the nonprofit, we did that on UN Plaza in San Francisco where the UN was founded. We had an art car stage. We had the, the mayor and uh, Board of Supervisors for San Francisco give talks and artists and the founders, uh, music, um, et cetera. It was very, very, for me being from San Francisco, that was a very memorable experience to bring that to the world uh, outside of Black Rock City. Um, we did a couple of uh, European leadership summits in Berlin and in, and in Amsterdam. There was one held in Sweden. Uh, I didn't attend that one, but that was great. Um, there's an organization called Burners Without Borders that does disaster relief and response, as well as community building and being involved with some of the uh, disaster response networks that they have led. And I'd also say, like traveling with the founders to festivals around the world uh, just gave me a deeper sense of what festival culture can do for. <clears throat> you know, a changing world. And one thing I also wanted to touch on, you had asked about, well, what's that have to do with, with climate and sustainability? Uh, I believe it's two years old, it might be three years old now, but Burning Man released a 10-year sustainability roadmap that goes from leaving no trace of the 80,000 people being at their, their festival every year to um, regenerative um, and beyond. 
So that's their goal. They, they brought in, people also don't know really that, that um, basically Silicon Valley's technology community are very much a part of Burning Man. Um, so uh, it is a fairly non-technological event. So it's not like, you're not, people aren't on their phones all the time. It's not very technology driven, but the people that make the technology go to that event and co-create it. Uh, and they also have a new uh, 3,800 acre property that they purchased in Nevada as a showcase and demonstration for sustainability called Fly Ranch. So I'm very excited about the, uh, it's called the Land Art Generator Initiative, LOGI. Uh, so they have, they got 800 applications to create um, solutions for water, energy, food, but in an artistic way. And they're showcasing that all on this property. I think it's a really great initiative from Burning Man. that uh, with 70,000 people at the same place and, and that's so time but it's also every year and uh, even if uh, COVID had changed some of the opportunity to to create the, such a big event but uh, um, it must have created some sort of networking model for connection between people. Burning Man Network, I want to say this in the right way, it's, it's, a, it's a global community and I, I you know, look at the, the Facebook followers and what I've known over 30 years. Yeah, anywhere from 50,000 to 80,000 people. Some, a lot of them are the same each year, but a lot of them are not. So I peg it probably about 500,000 to a million creatives globally. And there's 40 other Burning Man um, aligned events around the world. The Burning Man Network, you know, helping me find the right people. And that's true pretty much everywhere. If if, um, you know, I go somewhere in the world, um, very often uh, the Burning Man Network is helpful for, you know, either a good time or, um, you know, getting, getting things done. So yeah, it's a, very, it's a very, very powerful network that I think that's another thing that people don't understand of, of what that community is capable of. The creative capacity within that uh, particular population on the planet is um, extremely, extremely strong because their sense of possibility and their um, experience in mass collaboration has been practiced for years. Involving music, tech, creative city programs. When I say hackathons, uh, urban innovation exchange or digital rearing, a lot of frontier work by you. What is the lesson learned from this type of project? So I came up in the music industry. I, my first job was in the music industry while I was in a band and um, was, was, have always been driven by music. I got into technology after I graduated from the Thunderbird School of International Management and moved to the Bay Area. And I think, and the creative cities work was really you know, I'd say accelerated by my time with Burning Man. I had uh, co-founded Green Economy Think Tank with Greg Went out of LA, who you're familiar with. 
and been a fellow with Global Urban Development, and then co-founded a uh, urban innovation exchange with Greg Delon after we brought a delegation to the Rio Plus 20 UN conference in Brazil. And part of that organization was looking at how to use technology as well as culture to um, reimagine creative cities. So I think one of my lessons learned, as I mentioned with Burning Man, is the participatory nature of um, evolution of cities. So involving uh, you know, all the different stakeholders and um, you know, really listening and doing the homework, um, not putting in a solution that um, doesn't fit into the community that it's trying to serve. And that it's not all about technology. There's so many within the smart cities realm, you know, I don't want to talk about the companies, but it, that was kind of a marketing message for, for technology companies. And there's a lot of failed examples of just putting in the technology, but not really getting the people side and the community side. So I think, yes, smart and sustainable cities, but without the creatives, without the community engagement, it's not going to be a place that people want to live. If that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. Well, um, but how, how did you get into this type of, of work? Uh, what was the driver for you? I'm, I'm, I'm just interested and I, I wanted to, I wanted to be in places where, you know, I was inspired. Um, and, you know, I, I, I remember going to Burning Man and coming back and going, you know, why isn't the, why isn't the world like this? I think a lot of people have had that experience. And, you know, it's, it's not that it has to be a copy and paste type of thing, but, but to be inspired on a daily basis, you know, be that I'm looking at your, your screensaver behind you, Kai, and some of the architecture, you know, to be inspired every day or the, the windwind walls in Miami is also just an immersive street art uh, for blocks and blocks and blocks. Um, and there's technology companies there, et cetera. Like, why can't we design for inspiration? Why can't we design for action? We're in a changing world. Um, why do we, I mean, y'all have more history than we do here in the US, but um, can't we blend, you know, our past with our futures and create experiences and in a built environment that inspires us uh, to go through, you know, the coming probably challenging years, but yeah, and, and to bring out the creative, I think we're creative creatures, Kai. I believe humans are creative creatures at their core. And um, to, to bring, we need that right now. The world needs the creativity of, of human ingenuity. It could be an engineer, it could be a musician, it could be an artist, uh, it could be an architect, it could be a technologist. But we need all that right now, for sure.
to have a, such a creative um, mindset as you have, which have been the challenges for you? So, I think that um, I just bought a book on creativity the other day. Yesterday, actually, a workbook so that I would practice every day. Um, and I think that that's a big part of creativity. It's not just a I get inspired and then I write a song or you know, there's a strike of lightning and then you get creativity. It's, it's gotta be almost like going to the gym. You gotta practice. And, you know, part of that is cognitive flexibility too. I also, I often think of music, Kai. So when I say cognitive flexibility, it's like not every idea is a good idea and not every idea is, is at the right time. You might have to shelve it for a year or two until the context is right. And then maybe it's still not a good idea, but I think also kind of like listening is important. And I, and I say listening from like a social media perspective and a boots on the ground in the streets um, to really get a sense of place when we talk about like cities and culture. Um, and when I talk about also that cognitive flexibility, it's like kind of dance. You got, you, you listen, you respond, you, you, if you're a musician, you hear what the bass player is doing and maybe you put a little touch of guitar on that or something like that. But it's, it's working within uh, the structure in a flexible way. The other thing that I see as challenges to the mindset is kind of like, you know, we're storytellers as a creature. So how do you tell the story? What's the beginning, middle and end? You don't want to give it all away uh, right from the beginning. It has people sometimes with change, just need little bite-sized pieces along a path. Think about theater, right? Um, or a, a film, how a film ends. You don't know the you don't know the ending before you start. Hopefully, um, and change creativity also often drives change. So change is hard for people. So you know, finding the right way for uh, probably an evolution versus a revolution um, in whatever you're doing, so that people have more of a comfort level with it. I'd say. Hmm. Well, uh, if a listener now wondering how could I build my creativity capacity? What is your advice to them? Surround yourself with really smart and creative people. So choose your friends and family well, if you can. Um, I think a mix of multiple intelligences. So I think often people kind of like, if you're at a think tank or something, it's like, oh, let's get all the artists together. Let's get all the climate change people together. Let's get all the architects together. And they're separate groups. And I would say, no, actually make a group that is an artist, an architect, uh, a technologist and a politician and have those different expertises mix and match um, when you're looking to come up with solutions. I think, you know, studying, um, artists or creativity or your craft, like do your homework. Um, like I said, practice, uh, be curious. And 
um, when you can immerse yourself in, in whatever the project is like, go, go to places that are best in the class, best in the world and, and get to know it and, and try to figure out why it works that way in that place. And then what the translation is to the place you're in. I do understand what you mean that you say that you have to be in many places at the same time uh, when you create uh, something uh, to to move something in a direction and you maybe also have to break some rules and go out of the box uh, but that is also involving challenges uh, which are the biggest barriers to to combine this type of thinking if you're talking about climate change and sustainability and you you are working with culture, art, and design, and technology. How do you do it? Well, so Kai, I think you you have been in this realm much longer, not much longer, but um, your pioneering work with the natural step. Yeah. From my side, um, 15 years in, in the climate movement, out of the Bay Area, West Coast, um, there was a number of, institutions that influenced my thinking. Um, I can speak of the Esalen Institute and the Institute of Wetic Sciences and Bioneers and um, California Institute of Integral Studies, Burning Man, um, all different, but um, they were influenced on my way of thinking. And I was you know, surrounded by a lot of technologists and climate change activists and advocates. Um, what I determined was the political speeches, white papers, and corporate commitments are not getting us in the climate space. I mean, and I've studied movements, right, um, throughout my life. They're not, they're, they're focused on our heads. Um, so, and when I looked at movements, you know, they were generally, when you move people, it's more heart centric. So it's, it's, it's food. If you think of Gandhi in the salt marches or, or music in the sixties or theater and film, like artists are visionaries. They're usually a little bit ahead of the curve of the population and they invite us into that um, imagined future. Um, and I say activists too. So I think that's a part of all movements. And I think the, the, the next level what I'm sensing in my gut, so my intuitive sense, and I think this is happening, you know, all over the world right now. Uh, people are sensing that climate is real, climate change is real, and especially when you get fires in California, hurricanes in New Orleans, flooding in New York, right all happening at the same time. I think that is starting to make people sense it viscerally they know it's going on it's not about an article being written like it's in the news um so i think the younger people like their value system is very driven by this because it's their world they're going to live in um and i think we just need to think about how to engage both the youth and um the wisdom of the elders in our societies and the indigenous communities um, to find strategies for getting everybody in, in the game. I don't believe in retirement. I mean, I, I, I respect it, but um, 
I think humanity and life is at stake. Like, I think we got to be all in. to uh, ask you about the, one of the uh, problems for a society of today is that the structure doesn't promote culture or art or design and technology together. But where is the barriers? How can you get that in? Because many I speaking to and I've spoke to um, say that this is the way forward. If we should find solution we need to use culture and art and design and technology together yeah, yeah. but who is the one who doesn't understand that is that yeah who is, the is one that, that, the, that is it the structure in our society that doesn't promote this type of collaboration out of the box is a politician who doesn't get the grip or is the budget in our local community or or in municipalities and in national uh, ministries, uh, are they not designed to meet this type of, of uh, demands? Uh, yeah. They don't um, see out of the borders? So I think we've been programmed to think it's somebody else's job. I think we've been programmed to think that, that I'm speaking on climate change here and, and, and culture, that it's a it's the politician's job it's the mayor's job it's the governor's job it's the president's job and then we've been told but you citizen you um drive a prius you recycle your stuff and eat the right food and then we'll get it all taken care of um i think we're also seduced by technology solutions like oh we're, we'll just let it go we'll, we'll figure out the technology to you know make it right um in the future and i think there are entrenched interests um from and political infighting um i think our institutions aren't geared towards um rapid change um i think there's a funding problem um and so i go to what can we do structurally to create a more positive force and i think that uh, looking at Buckminster Fuller's quote about um, creating a system that makes the old system obsolete. Um, we shorthand that in my crew as throwing a better party. So I think that's what we got to do. And, and I'm seeing um, in a few institutions, um, Yerba Buena Center for the Arts and Buckminster Fuller's Design and Science Institute are training artists up on some more sophisticated technologies and are very much focused on social and environmental um, engagement and art artistry. Mm. So I, I really love those programs. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of people don't understand culture, Kai. Also, I think that you know they do understand budgets, they do understand technology to a level, but 
there's there's not that many people that really you know unless you're in like museum or a, a department within the government that has a cultural ministry or something like that i don't think a lot of people think about culture and i could be wrong but maybe we huh? just got to get the culture people together and and actually call them you know a powerful interest group well we talk more and more about the the need of a behavior change both uh, on individual level but also collective level and uh, maybe that will give culture and, and music and art a new position Let me then go into the process that you are now in the, to build Stardust Studios and Star Lab Impact Network. And uh, you also work with your old university, Arizona State University and the Thunderbird School of Management. Uh, uh, what are you doing? So during COVID, I got a chance, I think like we all did to, I turned 50 uh, and we were stuck inside. So I moved back to Arizona where I lived for 10 years. I was, when I was here, I was, as I said, in the music industry in a band. I went to Arizona State University and I went to the Thunderbird School of Global Management. Um, and I thought going back to my roots made sense and sat down and had the time to think about what I wanted to do next as the next you know, entrepreneurial or creative endeavor. And I came up with that I'd like to start a creative studio. And that could, you know, both be around kind of like an agency, but also, you know, be developing projects that had a, a creative element to them. And then when I launched that virtual creative studio last December with some partners, the uh, the dean at Thunderbird invited me to um, have a physical presence at their new global headquarters in downtown Phoenix. So, uh, for those that don't know, Thunderbird, uh, founded by Air Force pilots after World War II, with the belief that if we made ties, uh, commercial and 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 cultural ties between countries, uh, that we could avoid another world war. So they've been training. Uh, basically international MBAs for the last 75 years. And there's about 46,000 of them around the world now. So I'm very honored to be an alumni of that school as well as ASU. Uh, ASU Arizona State University is number one in innovation in the country, number one in SDG alignment, Thunderbirds number one international management school in the world. Um, and they've got a number of new programs and um, colleges or schools within. So uh, Thunderbird's launching a new space policy program and a creative industries program out of their LA uh, campus. They've got a new global futures lab, which is housing their very large, uh, I think it's 550 earth scientists uh, from their sustainability school. 
and um, they've got a new uh, virtual reality, augmented reality campus as well that's going up in in um, in April, I believe, in the spring. So um, you know, my background in emerging technologies, I've never seen anything like these kind of superstructures, if you will. It's it's a number one uh, R and D. Uh, institution in the country and the largest student body, uh, both online and offline. There's almost 200,000 students every year uh, at Arizona State University. So, um, you know, we're launching in November. So it's it's uh, the grand opening of the, of the campus for Thunderbird. There's a Swedish American Chamber of Commerce uh, national summit that's happening then as well. And uh, I'm just trying to put the kind of the elements in place for this uh, lab and creative studio right now. So um, some of that's going to be around sonic arts, some of that's going to be around emerging technologies, some of that's going to be around cities and, um, you know, climate, climate solutions. So um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm just putting together the, the final touches on the design right now for, for that future. And uh, then uh, that will be the last word from us today. And uh, I think also, um, the listener have an interest to, to go further on and, and to follow James' work uh, and uh, also see how culture, art, design and technology can be a source uh, to fight uh, our climate crisis. And thank you very much, uh, James. Thank you, and, Kai. And uh, hope to see you soon. You will. You will. I will say that there is a future brewing between Sweden and the Nordics and the west coast of America and um, I hope that our work together can drive that forward and and I think about it as um, leaders further faster together so those that are intent on a better future um, we need to be collaborating um, at, at a large scale. Thank you James. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>